he started talking about how Jesus is superior to the angels. Hebrews 2, he is going to continue talking about how Jesus is superior to the angels, but not just how, well, we'll just talk about it. Here we go. You'll see there's a lot of things that come up in Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is talking about being deliberate and being persistent and intentional about living the Christian life and being a Christian. And if you, if you, I, I say that this early, all through the book, this is going to come up a lot. There's going to be little hints of it, but it is not accidental. Being a Christian is not um, just going through the motions like a leaf flowing down the side of the street when there's a downpour of four inches of rain. Being a Christian is like being that curb that holds the water where it's supposed to be. Being a Christian is, is very resolute and determined. Um, it's like the back wheel of my car that when all the water washes down the street, it does not move and all the leaves stack up against the back of my car, right? It is just this thing that oh, is, it is with purpose. So, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So he, I gave you the hint. He opens with this in chapter 2. What's really great is these are nautical terms that he uses. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. It's the same words that they would use when you would put an anchor in for your ship and you might have an anchor that would move along and then you've got an anchor that just really grips that's the same word they use here pay attention to what we have heard is to lock your anchor into the stone on the bottom so that your boat doesn't move Otherwise, we'll drift away from it. And this drift away is the same word they would use of a boat that didn't get its anchor stuck in the right way. And you wake up in the morning and it's way over there. Or you can't even see land because you thought the anchor was working and it's not and you've drifted. This, this is the Christian life, right? Uh, <laughs> we, this, happened to, this happened to Cindy and I. You're going to be like, what? Okay. So we get ready to go move to Asia and we just give away all of our stuff and we're getting rid of things. And I'm borrowing this extra long pickup truck and we're just taking our things and we're just filling up this pickup truck. And I'd go to some friends' houses and I'd be like, hey, do you want this? Hey, do you want this? Hey, do you want this? All the rest is going to Goodwill. We go to Goodwill. We just gave away so many things, boxes and boxes. We're like, gosh, we've only been married. We were married like five years at that point. We've only been married five years. Where do we get all this stuff? Good grief. We empty out our house. We sell it. We move. All of our possessions are in uh, several crates in my mother-in-law's basement and on our backs and in our luggage to go to Asia, right? We come back. We're like, oh, we look through those crates in the mother-in-law's basement. We don't need that anymore. We throw away more things. We get rid of more stuff. Now, 14 years later, we're in this three-story house and I can't even walk through my basement. It's so full of junk. <laughs> what has happened? 
How did this, how could this be? Well, once I was anchored to this idea of, we, we even said it in our house, we'd come across them. Oh, now what about this? And Cindy would say, we're moving to Asia. We're like, we're not taking this to Asia. Gone. And we would say, we're moving to Asia. We're moving. And that was just like the chorus that we would sing. Oh man, I found this really cool thing. I got in eighth grade and it's all broken, but we're moving. Oh yeah, get it out of here. And somewhere that anchor got loose and now we've drifted and my basement is full of junk, right? The Christian life is the same way. We, I mean, of course I, I know how to do this, right? How do you keep your basement clean? You don't fill it with junk. You look at stuff, do you really need to keep that wire for that thing that plugs into that other thing that broke a long time ago? Well, I might need it someday, so I'm gonna keep that wire. No, you throw it away. How do we not drift away from Jesus? We stay on him. We seek him every day. We get in the scriptures every day. We get around people that are going to talk about the scriptures every day. We get around people that are going to ask questions like, what's the Lord doing in your life this week? What's the Lord doing in your life today? I know people that when I run into them, they're going to ask me, what's the Lord doing in your life this week? And when I know I'm going to run into those people or I know I'm going to see them, what do I do? Oh, I don't want to be stupid and not have an answer. Just being real. So I start thinking, what am I going to say? What, what is the Lord doing in my life this week? Oh my gosh. And then I start to see what the Lord is doing. And I completely forget that I was thinking about giving them an answer. And I start worshiping the Lord for all that he's doing in my life. Pay close attention to what we have heard. Hold on to this stuff and keep after it. Otherwise, all of a sudden we look at our spiritual life and it's like my basement and you can't even walk through it. Gosh, my spiritual life, I don't even, I don't remember, you know, you get to where I don't even remember the time that I prayed, not while I was eating and not while I was driving in my car, but that I just had a time of prayer. How do you do that? Well, have a time of prayer. Do it. Stay after it. Keep after these things. Don't drift away. Because it really is a drift. I'm talking about taking weight off and giving it to somebody else, right? I used to know this guy, and he's like, hey, if you only gain five pounds a year, in 10 years you've gained 50 pounds. And that, that was a little scary, that statement. It was like, oh, wow, okay. I haven't seen him in a while. I don't know how much, I don't know how that's going for him. But it was motivating to me at the time. God bless you. Verse two, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Remember, he's going back to the angels. What they, the, the law of Moses was brought. Every transgression or disobedience received a, received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he's going back to what we talked about last week. 
If the law of Moses was such a big deal and had so many punishments in it, how much more so is the good news of Jesus going to bring judgment and punishment if we don't believe it? This goes back to my, my story about throwing rocks at kids in my neighborhood. Didn't do it. Just hypothetical. If I pick up a rock and I beam it at some kid at my neighborhood, I knock him right in the head. And he runs home and cries to his mom. His mom comes. Why did you throw a rock at my kid's head? Like, I don't know what you're talking about, lady. Whatever. I don't get in trouble. Right? Let's say the president of the United States, kid, grandkid, is walking down the street. And I take a rock and I bink, and I beam that kid in the head with a rock. I'm probably going to get arrested. Now, I did the exact same thing, right? It was the exact same crime. It's not the level of crime that's going to get me in trouble. It's the level of crime against who it was against that's going to get me in trouble, right? So if I beam some random kid on the street in the head with a rock, nothing happens to me. If I beam the, the head of the mafia in the head with a rock, I'm going to get some cement sneakers, go for a swim in the Ohio River. That's what he's talking about here. It's not that these rules and this command and this, and this news has a higher law with it and stricter regulations. And not only now you under the law, you couldn't eat shellfish, but now you can only eat chicken wings. Like, it's not that it's a tighter law. It's actually a more open law. But the one that you're sinning against is such a bigger deal now. The, the news, the revelation is such a bigger deal. Then he starts talking about angels again. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking. It's not to angels you look in the book of Revelation, who is ruling and reigning on earth? It's not the angels. It's people. People are ruling and reigning on the earth for eternity. So God did not create the earth and save the earth and, and make it his everlasting dwelling place with people for angels. He did it. For us, for people. What? It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. When God made Adam and Eve and he says, go and have dominion over the earth. He didn't say, okay, all you angels, I want you to control Adam and Eve. And all you spirits are going to be in charge and you're going to manipulate and control people, and then the people are going to take care of stuff. No. And if you look at it, wait a minute, who else was in the garden? There's an angel in the garden, the devil. And so when God said, have dominion over this creation, who's in charge? Adam was in charge. And he gave up his authority to Satan by rebelling against God. So when they were put in the garden, the authority was Adam, not 
Satan. Pretty wild, huh? But he gave up his authority by disobeying God in rebellion. And that made Satan the authority. Now Satan's the boss. Oh, I'm going too fast. Okay. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. It has been testified somewhere. And then he quotes, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection to his feet. So you read this and you hear you made him a little lower than the angels. And it's in the context of authority. So it's easy to read this and to keep that going and to think you made him in authority a little lower than the angels. Like the angels are the authority and you made him, mankind, a little bit lower. Too bad. That is not what that means. It's you put him on the first floor below the angels on the second floor. It is a spatial term. Remember we talked about it before. They had this three level conception of the world. You had the top level, which was everything spiritual. All the angels and demons. You couldn't poke a spear up into the air without poking an angel because the heavens were so full of spirits and they were all doing stuff all the time, all above us. And then there's us and we're the animals and the people and we're flesh and blood and we're tangible and we're solid and we're doing things. And then there's the under and that's where you go when you die. And that's all the deceased and departed and dead. And they're all under us. And that's why it's scary to go to the underworld. And how can anybody praise God from down there? He talks about that. The psalmist talks about that. It's in Ecclesiastes. Who can, or Job talks about it. Who can praise you from the grave from down there? It's a really practical setting. Their praises and their words would have to make it up through all the people and then all the way up to where all the angels are. And so what is man that you're mindful of him? You would actually take him out not on the level of all the angels and put him on this level where stuff can be physical. This is all quoting Psalm 8. I got homework for you guys this week just so we aren't here for three hours. You can do your two hours of homework at home. Uh, he's quoting Psalm 8. And I'm going to read all of Psalm 8. Later when he quotes Psalm 18, I won't read it all Psalm 18 because if you flip there, you'll be like, oh my gosh, we're going to miss lunch. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, so the person that wrote Psalm 8 is praising God. Praising God for what he has done. Praising God for his wisdom. Praising God for his work and telling him how awesome he is and what his authority is. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So remember, above and below, where's God's glory? God's glory is up above all of the angels, all of everything. God's glory 
rules over everything. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. This was the original status of Adam. Take the garden, have dominion over it. In the garden, there was a serpent. There was a, a being that was more craftier than any of the other creatures. There was this uh, excluded and evicted angel, which was Satan. And he was part of that creation that Adam was told to have dominion over. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crown him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and all oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, whatever's down there that we don't know about. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's just praising God that God you could have made all this stuff for the angels. You could have made all of this stuff for those amazing beasts that have eyes under their wings and, and four heads. God could have made all of this for them, but he didn't. He made it for us, and then he put us in charge of every created thing that's down here. Remember last week I talked about how angels aren't eternal? They're created. And so when he puts us over, when he put Jesus over dominion, over all of creation, he is the king of all of the angels too. And then us in him. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything subjection to him. We don't see everything. It does not feel like this. Everything I just said, it does not feel like, right? People, there's horrible things happening to people. There, there's terrible tragedies happening. And you're like, it does not look like God made Jesus the ruler over this thing. Because that's, how could Jesus be the ruler over it if it's so terrible? We do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. We see Jesus because, oh, wait a minute. What did Jesus do while he was here? He suffered. He suffered in this fallen place also. He was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We see Jesus risen from the dead, having defeated death with a crown of victory. One time this is the only time I ever got in trouble in middle school. Only time ever. 
We're in gym class and Mr. Hostetler is having us do jumping jacks. And then he's having us do push-ups. And then he has us do this thing called the straight leg raise, where you lay on your back and you lift your legs up. And it's like, it's terrible for your back. It's a horrible thing. And it hurt and it was hard. It was like a reverse sit-up. And he has us lift our legs up. And I'm telling you, I was a good student, model student. All the teachers liked me. I was just a yes man. And we're lifting our legs up and it's hurting and my legs fall down. And oh, and I pull my legs up again. I'm holding my back because I can just feel it describing this is like sixth, seventh grade. Ah. And gym teacher's shouting, Mr. Hosteller, he's the coolest gym teacher ever. He was great. And he's hollering at us, come on, keep it up, keep it up, come on. And I said, I'd like to see you do this. Oh. And it's the only time he ever talked like, he said, I'd like to see you shut your smart mouth. And I felt so bad, you guys. I had so much guilt. Because Mr. Hostetler never said a mean word. He was just a good gym teacher. He was always positive and cheering us on and just so good. And man, when he said, I'd like to see you shut your smart mouth. He was red. He was, he was like as red as one of these tiles. He was mad at me. And I'm like Dan Sullivan. I'm like friends with Mr. Hostetler. We're not, oh, what have I done? What would have been better had I, I should have kept my mouth shut. But how awesome would it have been if Mr. Hostetler would have just dropped and brought his legs up boom, and been like, Sullivan, Look at this. Then I would have shut my mouth and I wouldn't have had guilt. I would have been like, well, dude is awesome, right? That's what Jesus did. We can read the Sermon on the Mount and he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Just be so determined to follow after God and to obey him. And we can say, I'd like to see you do this. And Jesus doesn't say, I'd like to see you shut your fat mouth, right? Shut your mouth. He says, watch me. Watch me all the way to the cross. Watch me all the way to the cross, obey the father and watch me raise from the dead. And then watch me just keep going. He was made a little lower than the angels and he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. The thing that everybody is afraid of is death. Oh, man. Oh, God, be careful. Oh, I don't want this to happen. We have absolutely no fear of it, right? We're getting ready to go to Asia and all kinds of people were like, oh, what if you die? Oh, this terrible thing. And there were people dying around us in Evansville doing nothing with their lives to follow Jesus. And they were still dying. I was like, gosh, I can stay here and do nothing for Jesus and die. Or I can go and just have this amazing adventure with Jesus. And then I might die there too. Guess what? They all die. <laughs> I was joking with, with one of my kids this week. And we were talking about medical things and all this stuff. And I said, oh, I forgot to tell you, you have this hereditary thing. My dad had it. 
you die. And I have it too. And you have it. <laughs> Which then he realized I was being stupid. We're all going to die, but we don't have to be afraid of it. Because Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh and he showed us how to do it. He showed us how to live. And he defeated death once and for all. And he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting for whom and by whom all things exist. This phrase for whom and by whom all things exist in ancient Christian writings that aren't in the Bible over and over people would refer to Jesus as the one for whom and through whom all things exist. And I was reading that this week and just thinking through, wow, okay, Jesus. His name gets used in vain all the time. Jesus. People talk about Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. What if I start adding this to the end of his name? The one for whom and by whom all things exist. So somebody cuts me off on the freeway and instead of saying Jesus, which I don't say, but instead I think Jesus, the one by whom and for whom all things exist. That person exists for Jesus and by Jesus they exist. I see something on the news of this terrible thing that some horrible person did. That horrible person exists by Jesus and for Jesus. Wow. For whom and for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. It is fitting that he would make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. We can call on Jesus. It's, it's so when I was when I was single, I would go to these college student Bible studies and it seemed like every week the dudes were preaching on how to be single and I was like, this is so stupid. This guy is married. What does he know about being single? <laughs> I don't even want to listen to this guy. This guy doesn't know my problems. This guy doesn't know my struggles. Which is really funny because none of those guys were born married. And I've apologized to a lot of them since. Jesus knows our sorrows. He was made perfect. It's not that Jesus lacked perfection. It's not that Jesus lacked anything. But when we look at Jesus' resume and we see God Almighty, glory, kingdom, we might be like, what does he know? But when you look at Jesus' resume and it says suffered, died, and was buried, now we know what he knows. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. He says, now he's quoting Psalms again. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in the flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise partook of the same things so that through death he would destroy the one who has the power of death, who is the devil. God himself came into the garden to take back Adam's authority over the devil. Adam had authority and he sold it. He gave it up. Jesus came into the garden, the world, earth, right? Here we are to get it back. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Why are we subject to lifelong slavery? Well, for one, because life is tough and life is hard and death is at the end of it. But the other thing that's in here is the threat of what happens to us when we die and the fear of what happens to us when we die. Is it going to be eternal punishment? Did I, did I make God happy enough? Did I, did I earn his favor? Which means that our whole lives we live in fear. If you go to a country where uh, Christianity has not made it yet, or Christianity isn't there anymore, it is shocking how much people live their lives according to fear. How much work people go to to keep the spirits and the deities happy all the time. Uh, you, we went to Turkey and there's these symbols and amulets, even at their airport, like hanging up as their airport signage. Uh, these, these pictures that are supposed to ward off evil spirits so that they're all protected from evil. You go into any home, we went and, and there's things hanging on the wall, things hanging up and they say, this is supposed to keep evil away. This will irritate the eye that we had a thing. It would irritate the eyes of evil spirits so that when they look at, at our house, their eyes will be irritated and they won't come here. People are extremely consumed with fear. Now we, I mean, here we are in the modern, modern Midwest and we have put away a whole lot of that. The problem is we, we attribute our deliverance to technology or we attribute our deliverance to culture and we attribute our deliverance and our safety to a whole lot of other things that could all go away like that instead of the Lord. Instead of the Lord being with us. And he is with us. And he is delivering us from fear. We are not subject to lifelong slavery. We don't have to be afraid of somebody not liking that we say we're going to pray for them. We don't have to be afraid of the slavery and the shame of uh, not being rich. Being willfully, willfully poor just for the sake of, of letting our extra money go to another thing that's good. For surely, verse 16, surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. What? God is not doing all of this to help out the angels. The angels were created to be servants of people. Servants of God. Ultimately, and as God has created all these things for people, 
God sends the angels to be servants of the people because God loves the people. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I know, I know uh, all different men and I have been in Bible studies with them and all of a sudden they said, oh yeah, this happened to me or I did this or I went through this experience. And all of a sudden you can see the looks of the other guys around and they realize they're not judging that guy. But all of a sudden there's this big relief of, oh my gosh, I can be honest and open with that guy because he has been in the situation that I'm afraid of being in. I can talk to this guy about this because all I did was struggle with it. All I did was have the thought of it. It happened to him and I can talk to him about it. It's hard to conceive of this, but Jesus has experienced everything that you have experienced. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have a car. Nobody ever cut him off on the Lloyd Expressway. I use that as a silly example, right? He never was tempted to steal a hubcap. Jesus has experienced everything that you have experienced. And he is able to relate to you. He is able to, that, that when you confess a sin to him, that he will go, oh, I have experienced that too. I have been tempted by that too. He, he, is, he, is a, he is a man that will say to you, oh, yes, when you confess a sin to him or, or when you're in a temptation. He knows. He himself has suffered when tempted and he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right, so one more weird thing. It's hard to think about Jesus being tempted. Because I can't even see him. And I think, uh, I'm going to confess this. Oh yeah, Jesus, I stole this hubcap. And I know you were tempted by it. And, uh, and you forgive me. And now I'm done. Right? And none of that is in my soul at all. I just jumped through the hoop. And I did the trick. And I did the motion. And now we're all good here. And I can go on out. And you know what? I might even steal another hubcap. Because that was so easy to get forgiven. Remember at the beginning I said there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff about grabbing on and seizing? Even if you have to use code words with your friends, even if whatever it is, get a relationship where you can confess your sins to another Christian person and they won't go, <gasps> That's, there, there are pastors that burn out and blow up and have all these problems because they think that they have to be this big white wall of purity and they don't have friends that they can say, I felt like stealing a hubcap all week last week and their friends won't go <gasps> that they'll be like, dude, I hate hubcaps. No, don't even hate hubcaps, but hate the temptation, hate the devil 
that's, that's luring you into that temptation and walk out of it and get delivered. Man. All right. Very good. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy and awesome. And we praise you that not only were you tempted in every single way so that we can come to you, but you send your Holy Spirit to live in us that we can confess our sins to one another and that we can find that that forgiveness as we show it to others, that we can see how your forgiveness works as we forgive one another. Help us to do that this week, Lord. Help us to pour out the, the forgiveness that we have received from you. Help us to pour it out on others and to just show off the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. You are better than the angels, Jesus. And we praise you that in you we have dominion uh, over every created thing. We love you, Lord. Amen.